Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 20 of Polygamy in the Bible. We'll be on pages 203 to 210. And the title of the chapter is Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene. The reader portion of the program is about 12 minutes long, and then we'll get into the commentary portion of the program after that. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Fundamentally Mormon goes live Monday through Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific. During the live portion of the show, the phone lines will be open and there will be a chat room available for questions or comments or discussion at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. After we're done with the reader portion of the program, We'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. Thank you for listening. Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene, Chapter 20 of Polygamy in the Bible. Program for Thursday, February the 17th, 2022 at 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific. Guest call in number is 917-889-8827. Phone lines and chat room as well as listening to the live radio show on podcast available at link below. Dub.com pages 203 to 210. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet, and heard his word. Among the dearest friends of Jesus were Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. How often Jesus must have visited the home of this happy family. And these casual and perhaps frequent visits gave him comfort and solace from the frenzy and turmoil of his daily labors. No doubt these associations with Mary and Martha grew more friendly and devoted, because affections and true love will naturally increase. For love begets love. John the disciple, who knew of these circumstances, wrote, Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. What kind of love was he speaking of? Was not this a different kind of love than that which he generally manifests? Or else why would John mention it? If Mary and Martha were wives, and Lazarus a brother-in-law, 
then Jesus did love them with a deeper and more intimate love that was so noticeable that John made mention of it. Now Martha, in her character, was a woman with a particular attention and devotion to her home. In the work of housekeeping and family duties, she found much pleasure and satisfaction. As a faithful devoted wife, she exercised her special gift in keeping an orderly and efficient home. Mary, however, was given to other kinds of gifts. She was a contemplative woman and given more to spiritual or religious instruction. These two sisters, devoted as they were to their talents, and to Jesus, were sooner or later, by their nature, destined to clash. On one occasion, while Jesus was with them, as the meal was being prepared by Martha, she felt that Mary was neglecting her share of the household duties. Martha could not see the value of Mary's conversations and meditations at the feet of Jesus, while she alone managed the chores of the household. In such a circumstance, Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she hold me. How much like a wife, to offer such a complaint to her husband and dash for who would suggest such a thing to a casual guest and dash especially to such a notable person? If Jesus were merely a visitor, what logical reasoning would cause Martha to ask this guest to impose the household obligations upon Mary? Certainly propriety and manners would have constrained such feelings until after the guest had departed. No, these were emotions being expressed pertaining to household conduct, which Martha felt should be corrected by the husband of the house. Picture of Mary and Martha and Jesus Christ. Jesus knew the feelings of her heart, and being considerate and wise, with loving words said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, filled with care, and troubled about many things, and dash demonstrating a consolation to her in her difficulties. He acknowledged her burdens, and with the feeling of an understanding husband, he calls her name twice, as if to show his care and sympathetic feelings. But, with the same wise counsel, he considers Mary and her feelings and gifts, showing to Martha that Mary was performing a duty also. In the same consolation to Martha, he said, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary was seeking the principles of the gospel, the words of her husband, and the understanding of the mission of the Saviour. Mary also was perhaps learning more of her mission on the earth and the duties that she would have to bear when her Lord would be taken away to Calvary. Six days before the Passover, as the conspiracy of betrayal began to take place, Jesus came again to Bethany. Here, once more, he came to the home of Martha and Mary. Jesus knew his hours upon the earth were numbered and dash his heart was torn in the agony of leaving his home, his friends, and his wives. How natural then to come to their home in Bethany to spend a few remaining and precious moments with those whom he loved. Mary's love and devotion were as pure and as dear as any wife could be. We read that she was anointing the feet of Jesus with ointment very costly and that she wiped his feet with her hair. Who would be more qualified to anoint the master than a wife? How much like a wife to weep and rest her head on the bosom of Jesus and anoint his body with costly oil with such profound devotion. Surely she knew of the approaching death of Jesus, and as a faithful wife, 
she paid this last devotional tribute to her husband and dash a love story with an eternal affection which Jesus said shall not be taken away from her. If Jesus were not married, his intimacy with Mary and Martha manifests a much closer relationship than mere believers. His close associations with these two women were rather unbecoming or improper if they were not his wives. Indeed, the relationship with Mary and Martha had the closeness and the stamp of the marriage. According to the scriptures, Jesus often came to the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany. Historians acknowledge this by saying, Jesus probably was entertained frequently in this home just outside Jerusalem, especially during the feast seasons. One event is recorded by John in which Lazarus died and was dead for four days. Martha went out to Jesus and told him that, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Martha goes home to tell Mary that, the master is come, and collect for thee. Master was the word often used to denote a husband. This, too, was the expression Mary had for Jesus, when he came to her after his resurrection. Mary immediately arose and went out to meet Jesus. It was on this occasion that Jesus commanded Lazarus to arise from the dead. John also relates the story of Jesus and some of his disciples eating supper at his home, while his wives, Mary and Martha, fed them. Mary, in a moment of devotion, used some of the costly ointment and dash which she had been saving for her husband's funeral and dash on his feet. Judas objected to the waste, saying that the ointment could have been sold and the money used by the disciples, since it belonged to Jesus anyway. Why was Judas even assuming that Christ had the right to take it away from Mary and Martha, if he were not their husband? Mary had been saving this ointment, knowing that her husband was going to die and dash something that some of the disciples didn't yet understand. If Mary were a married woman, she was certainly acting out of bounds with her association and affections for Jesus. If she were only a disciple of Christ, why was her love and devotion seemingly greater than that of his apostles? Certainly if anyone were married to Jesus, it would have been Mary Magdalene. Her life can attest to a devotion as deep and as faithful as any loving wife toward a husband. Jesus was often found in the home of Mary giving her instruction and consolation, just as a devoted husband would do. Even at Christ's death, Mary showed a bereavement and sorrow that only a wife would manifest. Why was she so bereaved at the tomb? Is not a widow usually the last to leave, and the most often to return, to the tomb of her husband? If Mary were not a wife, why was her grief so great that it required an angel to comfort her? How faithful and devoted Mary was to Jesus. She stood willingly at the cross to suffer at the death of Jesus. She was with the body of Jesus when it was taken down. See Matt 27, 61, Mark 15, 47, Luke 23, 55. She came to anoint the body with spices. In the early morning hours before anyone else, she was at the sepulchre. See Matt. 28, 1 and Mark 16, 2. There are the two Mary wept bitter tears, crying, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. This grief could only be known to a widow whose concern was for the body of her husband. 
It was under such grief that she saw two angels. And later when Mary saw Jesus and recognized him, she cried, Rabboni, which means, my great master, or more often, husband, with exulting joy at seeing him alive. Mary's love appears almost unbounded in her devotion and affection for him. But more outstanding than Mary's love for Jesus, is the love that was manifest by Jesus toward Mary. It was the closeness and attention that Jesus gave to Mary before his consideration of anyone else. It was to Mary, before any other disciple, that Jesus first appeared after his resurrection. Mary was the first mortal to see the resurrected Christ. Although Peter was the chief apostle, and had been so devoted to the Lord, he was to take second place in this grand manifestation of the resurrected Savior. Mary was comforted by Jesus, and then given instructions to tell the apostles and disciples. It seems as though she stood foremost among any other mortal. Why? Only the bonds of marriage could have brought Mary to such devotional love and intimate circumstances. Her affection was as much romantic as it was spiritual and respectful. It was because of her marital status that she was drawn closer to the Savior than were even the apostles. This touching experience is a grand manifestation of a love which could exist only within the bonds of a devoted man towards his wife. But not improperly, for neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord, said Paul. This was the law of the Gospel. Chapter 21 King's Daughters as Wives Well, I'm going to have to slow that down a little bit. Next time I do a recording, I didn't realize it was so fast. But it is what it is, and I don't have time to be messing around with it. So, I got home about 5.30 this morning, and it's 7.22 now. And I have to get up at 2 p.m. to go pick up my kids from school and go pick up my baby. So this is going to be fun trying to uh, work tonight, but... There's a lot of time when I only sleep four or five or six hours. And if I slept eight hours, I would actually be more sore than I am when I wake up after only sleeping five hours. So, it is what it is. But let's get into this. Reading and commentary portion of the program. I probably won't be making a whole lot of commentary, but maybe, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Um, I have been playing after the show, for those of you who are interested, in uh, revelations and translations that I have, things that I've received, uh, some stuff that other people have received, and, uh, 
you know, I've, I've received a lot of revelations over the years, written revelations, and I talk about the visions and stuff a lot, but I don't talk about the written stuff a lot, but I'm going to start sharing them more often, because um, I think they need to be shared. Uh, one of my favorite things to do at church, though, is just to sit up against the wall where I can see everyone and just comment on what the instructor talks about. I really don't like uh, giving talks. Uh, I don't like being the guy in front of the classroom. I like to sit on the side and comment, and that's one of the reasons I like the Zoom calls on Monday and Tuesday night at thedoctrineofchrist.com because I don't have to be the lead presenter but I can comment and just talk about different things and I'm not free to talk about everything that I wish I could talk about there um, I've presented my concerns to the leaders of that group and uh, I'm not going to beat a dead horse because they don't care. But I do enjoy hearing people's thoughts. Um, one of the things, and I know I'm just kind of going off on something right now, but on Tuesday, Jacob Isbell talked about how he noticed in the scriptures that that were received in the Doctrine and Covenants, how it talks about the gathering place being in, in Missouri, in the center place, and how it never says anything about going to the Rocky Mountains, and this is wrong, and they should never have done this, and I wanted to say something so bad, but like I do, I bite my tongue. But I could talk about it here because I'm free to talk about whatever I want to talk about here. But, yeah, it's true that Joseph received revelation from Jesus Christ about the center place and about the gathering of Israel and the New Jerusalem and all of that stuff being in Missouri and Nauvoo and that area. But Isaiah saw the remnant in the tops of the mountains and in the desert places. And he said that the Zion would be born in the desert places, which geography has nothing at all to do with Missouri or Illinois. So when Jacob Isbell said what he said, Clearly, he thinks he knows scripture more than he actually does because Isaiah saw the remnant in the desert places and the tops of the mountains. And yes, as we are led in the Exodus back to the center place, we will go back. But the majority of the saints are, are in the Rocky Mountains. The 
upmost bounds of the everlasting hills that Jacob, son of Isaac, saw Joseph's posterity go to. Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball talked about how the Lord would have to separate a people from among this people, speaking of the Latter-day Saints, and he said this in General Conference. He would have to, the Lord would have to separate a people from the midst of this people whom he would give his higher blessings to, people who are obedient to God's law and who are concerned with Zion's redemption, and that they would be led in the, in these mountains, round about this valley, and he was in the Salt Lake Valley when he said it. Anyway, it's just something I've been thinking about. Uh, I think about a lot of things um, as I'm driving my semi-truck all night long. All right, so let's get into this commentary. Mary Martha and Mary Magdalene. Chapter 20 of Polygamy in the Bible. Program for Thursday, February 17th, 2022. From 6 p.m., Mountain Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, to 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Pacific. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Phone lines and chat room, as well as listening to the live show and podcast, are available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon. Pages 203 to 210. Now it came to pass, as they went, that they enter, or that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Luke chapter 10 verse 38 and 39. Among the dearest friends of Jesus were Lazarus, which in Hebrew is Eleazar, and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, or Miriam. How often Jesus must have visited the home of this happy family, and these casual and perhaps frequent visits gave him comfort and solace from the frenzy and turmoil of his daily labors. No doubt, these associations with Mary and Martha grew more friendly and devoted because affection and true love will naturally increase, for love begets love. John the Disciple who knew of these circumstances, wrote, quote, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus, or Eleazar. <laughs> John chapter 11, verse 5. What kind of love was he speaking of? Was not this a different kind of love than that which he generally manifested? Or else, why would John mention it? Or why would he even mention it at all? If Mary and Martha were wives and Lazarus was a brother-in-law, 
that Jesus did love them with a deeper and more intimate love than was that was so noticeable that John made mention of it. Page 204 at 14%. Now Martha in her character was a woman with a particular attention and devotion to her home. In the work of the housekeeping and family duties, she found much pleasure and satisfaction. As a faithful, devoted wife, she exercised her special gift in keeping an orderly and efficient home. Mary, however, was given to other kinds of gifts. She was a contemplative woman and given more to spiritual and religious instruction. These two sisters, devoted as they were to their talents and to Jesus, were sooner or later, by their nature, destined to clash. On one occasion, while Jesus was with them, as the meal was being prepared by Martha, she felt that Mary was neglecting her share of the household duties. Martha could not see the value of Mary's conversations and meditations at the feet of Jesus while she alone managed the chores of the household. In such a circumstance, Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, so she came to, to Jesus. Now, if Jesus was the husband, then she's going to the right person to complain about her sister wife. Right? And she said, Lord, dost, not, dost thou not care that my sister wife, I'm just going to say it, hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. How much like a sister to offer such a complaint to her husband for, her, for who would suggest such a thing to a casual guest? especially to such a notable person. If Jesus were merely a visitor, what logical reasoning would cause Martha to ask this guest to impose the household obligations upon Mary? And I know, you guys, a lot of people are, are so offended that I even suggest that Jesus is married. I'm pretty sure those same people just had a... a Mount St. Helens-sized explosion coming out of their head when I suggest that Mary and Martha were sister-wives to Jesus. Well, try to get over your ignorant, Gentile, false traditions if you can, because polygamy is accepted by God in certain circumstances. And if we remember that all of the males around the area where Jesus lived were murdered by the king when they were trying to kill Jesus and John the Baptist, by the way. You know, so there's there was all these male children under the age of two who were murdered by the soldiers. Well, God delights in the chastity of women, but he also delights in the motherhood of women.
And if there are less righteous men to go around, he allows plural celestial marriage for those women so they can have a righteous husband and children and raise children up unto the Lord. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Mary and Martha and Elizabeth and and others were the wives of Yeshua or Jesus. But continuing on, maybe not Elizabeth. I'm getting that name from somewhere, and I know that's John the Baptist's mother, but I think there's another one, but I'm not sure. Anyway, like I said, I actually woke up at 1.30 p.m. yesterday, it was like between 1 and 1.30. So we'll just say 1.30 p.m. And I worked all night. <laughs> and it's now a little after 7.30 a.m. in the morning. So I hope you'll forgive me if I'm a little bit tired. But continuing on, certain propriety and manner would have constrained such feelings until after the guest had departed. No, these were the emotions being expressed pertaining to household conduct, which Martha felt should be corrected by the husband of the house. You know, I'm glad that I do have people who read these programs and who listen to these programs. I'm happy that people are learning, and I wish that more people would take this serious, but you know... I really enjoy the study for my own enlightenment. I mean, as I'm doing this, I'm reading it right now. I listened to it earlier, and this recording will be uploaded so you guys can listen to it later, and I'll listen to that again. It's like repetition for me, right? And over the course of the last couple years, we're up into the 500 and somethings for the episodes, you know, 500 and something episodes that are usually between one and a half hours to three hours long. And then my old program, The Kingdom of God or Nothing. And I did, um, I can't remember. It was like, I don't remember, but it was hundreds of programs between two to four hours long on that, on that podcast platform. You know, and over the years, I've learned a lot just by reading and by studying. And, like, when I'm not doing the programs, I'm reading things and I'm learning things and I'm listening to documentaries and I'm listening to sermons and lectures, and I love it. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to share some of what I'm learning on Facebook uh, through the podcasts and the videos. But... Like, I don't share all of the YouTube videos that I listen to because I don't think people would be interested in it, but I'm interested in it. I listened to a program of the History Channel last night as I was driving where they were talking about stars and nebulas and supernovas and the Crab Nebula and, like, all these really cool things. And I love that sort of stuff, and I love to learn 
But I love learning about restoration theology. And so even though I don't have like tens of thousands of listeners and I don't have people sending me all kinds of money like like some other podcasters do, I am doing this because I want to share the message, but also because I enjoy learning. I enjoy this reading. And right now I'm reading and it's helping me wind down from a pretty stressful night. I actually didn't have dash lights for a while, for like an hour and a half or two hours last night. And I was just, I was irritated as I was driving last night uh, just because of some stuff that happened. And, And I was tired and I was in so much pain. Oh, so much pain uh, because of a a back injury and the seat, like the uh, vibrations of the truck and the bouncing of the truck. And I was just in a lot more pain than I normally am in, but I'm usually in pain. But I'm glad to drive a truck. Um, I just wish I wasn't in so much pain all the time. Uh, and part of that has to do with being poisoned in the oil fields. And part of that has to do with getting hit by a semi-truck. A long time ago. I've been suffering for 20-something years over that. Uh, actually, I think this year it is 20 years. No, maybe last year. Maybe this year is 21. I don't know. Anyway, I know I'm going off on tangents. I'm sorry about that. We're on page 205. Actually, 205 is a picture of Mary, Martha, and Jesus Christ. So I guess we're on page 206. Jesus knew the feelings of her heart, and being considerate and wise, with loving words, said Martha, Martha, Thou art careful. Or in other words, Thou art filled with care, and troubled about many things. This is demonstrating a consolation to her and her difficulties. He acknowledged her burdens, and with the feelings of an understanding husband, he called her name twice as if to show his care and sympathetic feelings. But with the same wise counsel, he considered Mary and her feelings and gifts, showing to Martha that Mary was performing a duty also. In the same consolation to Martha, he said, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Luke chapter 10, verse 42. And see, Jesus, he knew that he didn't have a long time to be spending with these women in I think that he he probably realized that yeah the the housework is important but but the 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 quality time with each other is more important and I wonder how much that knowledge played into how he reacted to his wives. Mary was seeking the principles of the gospel 
the words of her husband, and the understanding of the mission of the Savior. Mary also was perhaps learning more of her mission on the earth. And the duties that she would have to bear when her Lord would be taken away to Calvary, six days before the Passover, as the conspiracy of betrayal began to take place, Jesus again came to Bethany. Here once more he came to the home of Martha and Mary. Jesus knew his hour upon the earth uh, upon the earth were numbered. Jesus knew his hours upon the earth were numbered. His heart was torn in the agony of leaving his home, his friends, and his wives, and his children. He did have children. How natural then to come to their home in Bethany to spend a few remaining and precious moments with those whom he loved, his family. Mary, Mary's love and devotion were as pure as and as dear as any wife's could be. We read that she was anointing the feet of Jesus with ointment very costly, and that she wiped his feet with her hair, which, by the way, is part of the second anointing. Who would be more qualified to anoint the master than a wife? And by the way, your wife, when you receive the second anointing, she has a part in the anointing, and that's part of it. How do I know? Because I've had the second anointing. How much like a wife to weep and rest her head on the bosom of Jesus and anoint his body with costly oil with such profound devotion. And that is also part of the second anointings. Anyway, we're on page 207, or 48% through the chapter. Surely she knew of the approaching death of Jesus, and as a faithful wife, she paid this last devotional tribute to her husband. A love story with an eternal affection which Jesus said shall not be taken away from her. If Jesus were not married, his intimacy with Mary and Martha manifest a much closer relationship than before belief, than, than mere believers. His close association with these two women were rather unbecoming or improper if they were not his wives. Indeed, the relationship with Mary and Martha had the closeness and the stamp of marriage. According to the scriptures, Jesus often came to the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany. John chapter 11, verse 1. Historians acknowledge this by saying Jesus probably was entertained frequently in this home just outside of Jerusalem, especially during the feast seasons. Haley's Encyclopedia of the Bible Volume 4, page 104. 
One event is recorded by John in which Lazarus died and was dead for four days. Martha went out to Jesus and told him that if he, if thou hast been here, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. John chapter 11, verse 32. Mary goes home and tells Mary, I'm sorry, Martha goes home to tell Mary that the Master is come and calleth for, for thee. Uh, let's see here. Master was a word often used to denote a, fan, a husband. Wow, I'm getting really tired. Let me see where I can finish uh, and maybe come back to this later after I sleep and do all the things i got to do today. This, too, was the expression Mary had for Jesus when he came to her after his resurrection. See John chapter 20, verse 16. Mary Magdalene also went... Mary... I'm oh, sorry, what did I say, Mary Magdalene? Yeah, I'm starting to fall asleep. Mary immediately rose and went out to meet Jesus. If on this occasion that Jesus commanded Lazarus to arise from the dead, John also relates the story of Jesus and some of his disciples eating supper at his home while his wives, Mary and Martha, fed them. Anyway, um, we're on page 208, and I'm going to take a little bit of a break. And uh, But I'm going to get this done before I have to uh, go live in the program. So thank you for listening, everyone, and I will be right back. By the way, the guest call the number is 917-889-8827. Thank you. Okay, I'm back. Uh, it's many, many hours later, but I'll just start kind of where I think I left off. John also relates the story of Jesus and some of his disciples eating supper at his home while his wives, Mary and Martha, fed them. Mary, in a moment of devotion, used some of the costly ointment which she had been saving for her husband's funeral on his feet. Judas objected to the way, saying that the ointment could have been sold and money used by the disciples since it belonged to Jesus anyway. Why was Judas even assuming that Christ had the right to take it away from Mary and Martha if he were not their husband? Mary had been saving for this or saving this ointment knowing that her husband was going to die, something that some of the t- disciples didn't yet understand. If Mary were a married woman, she was certainly acting out of bounds with her association and affections. Jesus. If she were only a disciple of Christ, why was her love and devotion seemingly greater than that of, of his apostles? Certainly, if anyone were married to Jesus, it would have been Mary Magdalene. 
Her life can attest to the devotion as deep and as faithful and as loving any loving wife towards her husband. Jesus was often found in the home of Mary, giving her instructions and consolation, just as a devoted husband would do. Even at Christ's death, Mary showed a bereavement and sorrow that only a wife would manifest. Why was she so bereaved at the tomb? Is not a widow usually the last to leave and the most often to return to the tomb of her husband? If Mary were not a wife, why was her grief so great that it required an angel to comfort her? How faithful and devoted Mary was to Jesus. She stood willingly at the cross to suffer the death of Jesus. John chapter 19 verse 25. She was with the body of Jesus when it was taken down. See Matthew chapter 27 verse 61. Mark chapter 15 verse 47. And uh, Luke chapter 23 verse 55. She came to anoint the body with spices. See Mark chapter 16 verse 1. Or on page 209. In the early morning hours before anyone else, she was at the sepulchre. See Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, and Mark chapter 16, verse 2. There at the tomb, Mary wept bitter tears, crying, Because they have taken my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. John chapter 20, verse 14. This grief could only be known to a widow whose concern was for the body of her husband. It was under such grief that she saw two angels. Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. And later when Mary saw Jesus and recognized him, she cried out, Rabboni, which means my great master, or more often, husband with exulting joy at seeing him alive Mary's love appears almost unbound in her devotion and affection for him but more outstanding than Mary's love for Jesus was the love that was manifested by Jesus towards Mary it was the closeness and attention that Jesus gave to Mary before his consideration of anyone else it was to Mary before any other disciple that Jesus first appeared after his resurrection. Mary was the first mortal to see the resurrected Christ. See John chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. Although Peter was the chief apostle and had been so devoted to the Lord, he was to take second place in this grand manifestation of the resurrected Savior. Mary was comforted by Jesus, Mary was comforted by Jesus and then giving inst given instructions to tell the apostles and the disciples. It seemed as though she stood foremost among any other mortal. Why? Only the bonds of marriage could have brought Mary to such devotional love in intimate circumstances. Her affection was was as much romantic as it was spiritual and respectful. 
It was because of her marital status that she was drawn closer to the Savior than even the apostles. Page 210. And uh, we're almost done with the reading for today. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And once again, there is a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Continuing on with page 210. This touching experience is a grand manifestation of a love which could exist only within the bonds of a devoted man towards his wife. Not improperly, for neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord, said Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11. This was a law of the gospel. So when we come back on uh, to continue the reading of Polygamy in the Bible, we will be on page 211, which is chapter 21, and we'll talk about kings' daughters as wives. So it's a pretty interesting chapter, and uh, we'll come back to that when we come back to the reading. Um, Before I end the recording, I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, a, a few things. Okay, for the Trinitarians out there who happen to be listening to this program, when Jesus was upon the cross, well, actually, I'll go back. So the Last Supper was a rehearsal meal for Pesach or Passover, which the rabbis did as a matter of tradition before one night or one day before the the Passover feast of unleavened bread. That's why there was no lamb at the Passover or at the Last Supper. It was just the other things. And the tradition um, of the Passover Seder did not uh, was not developed uh, until long after the destruction of the temple. But um, they did, you know, they did do a very simple Passover, and the Last Supper was a rehearsal meal for that, which was the night before in the year 28 A.D. On a Tuesday night, right at sundown. It was later on that night that Yeshua or Jesus would pay for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because he was the literal son of the Father, he was able to take upon himself the sins of the world as wave after wave after wave of sin and transgression came upon him which had a physical effect of tearing his flesh apart to where he literally bled from every pore. And because Yeshua was able to heal himself because he was part God and part man, he was able to do what no mortal could do. Later on that that night and into the next morning, he would go before uh, Pontius and, and different people and go through the trial, he would be scourged and whipped with a cat of nine tails to the point where he should have died from that as well. And 
and then he was hung upon the cross. And all of the physical pain that he went through was nothing compared to what he endured for us in the Garden of Gethsemane to pay for our sins, that we might become his children and his disciples. And ex- excruciating as the cross was, it, it compared, it, there, there was like very little comparison to the, I mean, just as horrible as that was, he went through so much worse. And he had power to retain his life through all of these things. And when he died, there was an earthquake and there was a crack in the ground and they put a spear in his side and the blood in the water carried the water carried that blood down the crack into Jeremiah's grotto and it sprinkled the blood his blood on the ark of the covenant which in 2000 well not quite 2000 years A man by the name of Ron Wyatt would be led by an angel into that place where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat for us. And Ron Wyatt was instructed by an angel to take a sample of that blood. He was allowed to touch the Ark. Which, by the way, later on, the Jews would send in high priests and stuff to take the ark out of where the angel led uh, Ron Wyatt to, and uh, everyone who touched it was immediately killed. So they don't know what to do with it, because it's meant for Messiah Ben Joseph to take, kind of like King Arthur's uh, sword in the stone, same kind of type and shadow or allegory or whatever, but... But they took that blood, Ron Wyatt took that blood, and they reconstituted it, and it was still alive. Dried blood on the Ark of the Covenant was still alive. And they were like, why? How is this possible? And they tested the blood, and they looked into the DNA sequence of that blood, which was still alive. And they saw that there was 23 chromosomes for the father, but only one for the... 23 chromosomes for the mother but only one for the father which isn't possible according to our own understanding of science and they said Ron whose blood is this and they knew where it was they knew where he got it from from the ark of the covenant from the mercy seat And he said, this is the blood of Yeshua ben Yosef. Yeshua, the one who hung upon the cross, the one who the Gentiles called Jesus. And those those Jews in that laboratory cried out, tearing their shirts, ripping their garments, rending their garments in great anguish because they knew that their people had rejected the true Messiah and the Redeemer of the world and the Son of the living God. The water, the blood, and the Spirit testify of the reality 
that Jesus lives. Before he was put to death on the cross as he was hanging there, the thief was defending Jesus while the murderer murderer was condemning him. And Jesus looked at the thief and he said, Verily I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. And they died and they went to paradise. And that was on a Wednesday night right before sundown. And they had to hurry up and get him off the cross because the high Shabbat, the high Sabbath, the holy day of unleavened bread was a uh, feast was about to begin with Pesach or Passover. And that they had to get him off the cross and get him in the tomb. And they put him in the tomb of Yosef of Arimathea, his great uncle. And they were not able to prepare his body for the burial because they had to hurry up and get it off. And he was in the tomb Wednesday night, Thursday night, one night and one day. Thursday night to Friday night, one night and one day. And Friday night to Saturday night, one night and one day. Exactly three nights and three days in the earth, which is a sign of Jonah. And shortly after sunset, At the end of Shabbat, at the end of the Sabbath on Saturday night, which was a new day according to the reckoning of the Jews, which is the Lord's Day, Yeshua was resurrected in glory. He took back his body, his healed, alive body. Mary, his wife, had to endure watching her husband go through the pain and agony and torment that he was willingly, willingly went through for us. She watched as they put him in the tomb at the beginning of the high and holy Sabbath of Pesach and the beginning of the feast of, or the week of unleavened bread, which was a holy Shabbat, which still is a holy Shabbat, a holy day. And she was not able to go and get the things that she needed to do the job of a wife to her husband. One night... Wednesday night to Thursday night in one day. And the markets were not open until Friday on the second day. And she was able to go to the markets and get the things that she needed to do the, the duties of a wife to her husband on that day. And then at the sundown of, the, of Friday was the weekly Shabbat, the weekly Sabbath. And she was not able to go and do the work of a wife to her husband to prepare her husband's body for the grave. And on Saturday night when the sun went down and the Shabbat or the Sabbath ended, after sundown, while it was still dark, she made her way to the tomb of Yosef of Arimathea 
And the angel said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That was on Saturday night, not Sunday morning. And later, the next day, she goes back to the tomb while it was daytime, and she is weeping. Where have they taken my body? She heard the angels, which, by the way, the scripture states, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. She may not have known, or maybe she didn't believe. Maybe she thought it was a dream. Maybe she went back and fell asleep in her agony and her overwhelming emotional drama that she had to endure. Maybe she thought it was all a dream, but she went back the next day and she was in the garden at the the tomb of Yosef of Arimathea. And as she's weeping and she hears somebody walking near her, she says, she thought it was the gardener and she says, Where have they taken my husband? Where have they taken my husband? And he said, Mary. It was Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And she turned to him and saw her husband alive. And she ran to him, crying out, Husband, or Rabboni, or Master. Husband. And she ran to him and embraced his resurrected flesh. And he said, Hold me not, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father. and unto my God and your God. The father of Yeshua was Michael, the archangel. The God of Yeshua and our God is Yehovah our Elohim, and they are not the same person. I have seen our father Michael and our resurrected father Yeshua Jesus the Christ our Redeemer who is our father by the law of adoption in the flesh and I've embraced them in the flesh and am, am their witness And I know that they are two individuals and that Yeshua and Michael are under the direction of Yehovah our Elohim who is our Elohim. And when the Trinitarians want to say that Jesus is the Father, they're not wrong. He becomes the Father through the law of adoption. But in Revelations chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God. That's Michael, who is Adam, who is a God, and his Father, Jehovah our Elohim. And when Jesus told Mary, hold me not, 
I have not yet ascended to my father, but three days before he said to the thief, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Well, paradise is not where the father is. And if Jesus were the father the way the Trinitarians think that he is, how could he not be where he is at? When he said to Mary, Hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But tell my brethren, I ascend unto my father, Michael, who is Adam, and to your father, Michael, who is Adam, who is God, the creator of this world, who is our father spiritually and physically, and Yehovah, our Elohim, my God and your God, my Elohim and your Elohim. And I know that these things are true. And I have seen our Father and our Redeemer, God the Creator, Michael, and God the Redeemer, Yeshua, in the flesh of the noonday sun, and I've embraced them in the flesh in the temple of God on Mount Vashel, the, the mountain of God. I'm going to leave these things with you in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, and in the name of the office of Messiah. Amen. So if we have any questions or comments, we can take calls now. And uh, if not, then we'll play, uh, probably play the revelation of Joshua Sparks, who, which was received in 2013 for the setting and order of the house of God through the Church of the Living Messiah. Let's get to that point. Hello, Emmett. Hi. Did you get that headset to work on the computer? No, but I do have the computer on and open. The studio open on it. Is there anybody in the studio? Any callers? Nope. Uh, anybody in the chat room? Uh, also, no. You said hello there, though. I know. I did say hello. I just wanted to make sure my when I was parked that my phone was connected so that um, I could make sure to try to monitor it, but it doesn't update and refresh all the time. So as I'm driving, I have a load of coal going to hunting Hunter Power Plant. So I'm going down by Castledale. Have you talked to Mom? Emmett? Hello. Hey, have you talked? Is Mom home yet? Uh, no. I don't know when she gets off. She's doing the, oh, what do you call it, parent-teacher conferences for her kindergarten class. So hopefully she'll be home in the next hour. <laughs> All right, well, we can help. who, yeah, for people who are listening online or people who will listen later in the podcast, I don't know if I'm going to do the program on Fridays. 
I am usually just very exhausted. Um, I work Sunday night to Friday morning, five days a week, 12 hours a day. And then doing these programs four nights a week, um, or, well, you know, I, I recorded part of this this morning and part of it after I dropped the kids off at, back at the home. And then um, sometimes they work Saturdays. And this next pay period for me is actually short because my pay periods are the 1st to the 15th and the 15th to the end of the month. And this month, there's only 28 days because it's February. So sometimes I will work Saturday night after sunset to Friday morning. I don't like doing that because um, I just I need my, my rest. But we'll see what I can do this weekend. I, we're trying to get um, all of the list of everything that needs to be fixed for the inspectors so that we can get the appraiser to come over and then sign off and we've already got the paperwork and everything is done for the house. Uh, we just need to close. We have the down payment. We have all the stuff. And uh, the owner of the house, so we're doing a lease purchase, and the owner of the house, her son has been coming down from Logan to fix all of the things because the house is vacant for three years. And the man who built the house, he built it himself. And he did an all right. He did a pretty good job, but um, there were things that needed to be fixed. And anyway, the person, the son of the the widow that owns the house, uh, he doesn't want to do anything else. So we're kind of like trying to scramble to get everything else that needs to be done done, so we can get the bank loan and finally own the property, not just lease lease to least to own, which is what we've been doing. Um, pretty nice house. We live on 10 acres. We have goats and chickens and about four or five acres of hay. 26 shares of water, five-bedroom house, unfinished basement. I mean, we're blessed. We've been living there for two years, and we're actually supposed to close in February, but we're uh, Everybody's been dealing with COVID on their end and our end and just trying to get everything fixed. And there was a lot of stuff. It's just been, you know, we're supposed to close in November and we're still worrying about it. And which really sucks because we have a minivan and that minivan has almost 300,000 miles on it. And it's been giving us problems, but we can't go buy another vehicle because we cannot sign any leases um, until we close on the house. And, like, we had a 15-passenger van, but the motor blew out the side, and there's a hole, a big old gaping hole in the side of the motor. And uh, we just don't have the money to fix it with everything else that we need to do. And, um, oh, it's just been a mess. So, anyway... So that's a whole bunch of stress that we're dealing with, but I don't want to move again. Um, from the time I was 
a baby till the time I was 18. I moved over 100 times, uh, moving every two, three, four months. Sometimes I would stay longer than that, but usually I would go from family member to family member. And when I was in my teen years, I would be in youth homes. Uh, I was in juvenile detention for getting in a fight with my mom. Um, I was in a psychiatric ward because of the extreme abuse that I dealt with at the hands of my my parents and my step-parents. And um, I was in an alcoholic rehab center when I was 14 years old. I was homeless when I was 16, not by choice, but because my aunt, who was taking care of me, decided to move one day while I was at work, came home, and there was a note on the table, and all their stuff was gone in this single-wide trailer house that we were renting. And the note said, uh, you're not my responsibility, and you're old enough to be emancipated. And there it was. I was thrust out on my butt. Well, I mean, they did set me up in that single-wide trailer house, but the landlords, when they found out there was a 16-year-old kid living there, and I was paying rent and the bills, but anyway, they kicked me out, so I ended up homeless. And then I would be homeless on and off over the years, and without a home, after my mission, I was an over-the-road truck driver for three and a half years with nowhere to live and nowhere to go. And I was scared and alone, and I didn't understand how to be an adult, and everything was just screwed up. And then I've moved, even in my adult years, many times, and I'm done. I'm I'm done. I just want to stay in one place. I'm so sick and tired of moving, and I, I don't look forward to the time when God told me to live where I live, and he said, when the time comes, you will know it. And he told me to go to a place in the wilderness that he has shown me, and it exists. He's prepared it for the remnant. And I'm not looking forward to going there. I don't want to be in the mountains. I don't want to be in the desert places. I don't want to be in the wilderness. I want to stay in my home. I want to live in my home, you know. But And I hope that all that stuff doesn't happen for a long time because I just want to live in my home. And I'm a little bit stressed out right now because I don't want this to fall apart. You know, we've put a lot of money into this lease purchase, and we're trying. And they're not upholding their end of the bargain, which is that they are supposed to fix the things that that need to be fixed so we can get along, you know? So anyway, that's what's going on in our life right now, and uh, we're going to have to deal with that. Now, Emmett. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Hi. Hi. I'm on the wash plant, so I know it breaks up here. Have you talked to my Okay. Nope. Okay. Well, she said she'll call me as soon as she's done with her parent-teacher conferences. So, um, so I guess I'll just um, – I want to talk about something else. Um So, in 1995, that's when I was taken up in the Spirit, and Jesus Christ took me into the Salt Lake Temple, 
and I stood in the presence spiritually of, of our Father in Heaven in the middle tower on the eastern side of the Salt Lake Temple up at the highest room. And he told me that I would be his anointed prophet when Jesus returned. And I was Baptist at the time. I had been baptized when I was a kid in the LDS church, but I thought that they were a bunch of cultists. And I thought Joseph Smith was deceived by Satan coming as an angel of light and, you know, the whole anti-Mormon shtick. And I was all in. I tried to get my name removed from the church when I was 16. So at the time, I was very anti-Mormon, and I was very confused by, like, you know, this thing that happened where Jesus takes me to the Salt Lake Temple, and I have this experience with Heavenly Father. And that was in 95. And in 96, um, that's when I met the missionaries. And that's when I had a spiritual conversion, when I asked God to heal me and show me the truth, and the missionaries taught me about Joseph Smith, and I prayed about it. Um, The Holy Spirit burned through me like hot oil flowing from the top of my head down through my whole soul. And I was a drug addict at the time. And that's one of the things I was asking God to heal me from. And I was completely healed in an instant. I have never used illicit drugs after that point. That was in 96. I converted. I ended up homeless because my the ward where I was at, they didn't want to help me. The missionaries didn't know what to do. And my roommate was angry that I went to Mormonism, you know, Uh he actually had an altar in his home for some goddess that he worshipped, like pagan stuff, you know. Anyway, so I was homeless, 96, winter of 96, December of 96 into January for about a month and a week or two. And my grandfather had a, had uh, an experience where he was laying in bed. Now, my grandfather had lost both of his legs below the knees uh, in combat as a Marine, in Iwo Jima or Guadalcanal. And he was laying there in the morning down in Richfield, Utah, and he said that he heard God speak to him. And God told him to find me and to send me on a mission. Now, he only knew that I was a Baptist and I hated the church. He had served seven missions with my grandmother, but I told him, you know, I was trying to get my name removed from the church, and here's God telling him to send me on a mission. He had no idea. But he called my mom, and she went to some places, and she saw some friends that she knew that I had up in Davis County, where we all used to live. And when I was going around, walking around, I went to visit one of my friends, and and they said, hey, your mom's looking for you. She left this number for you to call her. And I hadn't talked to her in a long time. Anyway, so I called her. Grandpa wants to talk to you. Where you at? I'm going to come pick you up. And uh, she came and picked me up and brought me from Davis County up in the Layton, Clearfield area down to Taylorsville where her and her husband lived. 
and my grandparents got in their vehicle and they drove up from Richville, Utah. My grandpa, when he sat down and talked with me in my mom's living room, he said, I want to help you. Now, he didn't tell me everything. He just said, I want to help you. You can get into college, and I will pay for you to live at the Little America in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you can go to the university there. Now, that's a really expensive hotel, but my grandfather had a lot of money. So he was going to pay for me for four years at the University of Utah and let me, like, rent me a room at Little America in downtown Salt Lake. And I was going to live there. He said, either that or I can send you on a mission. Well, he had no idea that I told God, if you will heal me and, and show me the truth, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And I was 100% committed. And so I said, I'll go on a mission, which surprised him, <laughs> surprised everybody. Nobody knew, you know. And then I told him what had happened. And when I tell you that when you've been homeless in the middle of winter and you have to walk around all night just to not die of hypothermia, and the only sleep you get as a homeless person is by trying to find a warm place in the sun during the light, and you've gone through that horrible experience, and then you get to, to sleep in a bed, and take a shower and sleep in a bed. Like, I don't even know. That's like the best. That was the best feeling in the world. The day before, I didn't know if I was going to make it. I didn't know if I was going to survive. I I had had hypothermia. You know, I had suffered things that I don't even want to talk about right now. But I chose to go on a mission. And so we went down to Richfield, and we got the process all going and ready and everything. And and uh, I got my mission call to Macon, Georgia, which is funny because when I saw Georgia, I like I didn't even realize at that time that there was a state called Georgia. I thought I was going to Russia, the Russian Republic of Georgia. <laughs> I was like, what? My grandparents were like, no, that, that's a state. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I went and got my endowments out in the Salt Lake Temple because I wanted to see what I was shown in that spiritual experience with Jesus Christ because I'd never been in the Salt Lake Temple. I didn't know what it looked like. But I had been in the temple in an out-of-body experience with Jesus Christ and God the Father, and I wanted to go there and see, and it was right, and that's where I got my endowment out at. And then my grandmother and I went to Manti a bunch of times to the temple there, and, uh, you know, I got ready to go on a mission, and I'd go out with the missionaries all the time, and my grandpa let me drive his 1975 Chevy pickup truck that I learned to drive when I was 10 years old because they helped raise me a lot. And the town we lived in had 30 people in it, so I used to sit next to him and drive in the pa- or in the driver's seat with him next to me when I was 10 years old. He's the one that taught me how to drive. Anyway, so I drive that around and go see the missionaries and and all of that. And um, 
and then drive them all over the place. It was fun. I got my patriarchal blessing. And in my patriarchal blessing, it says, and I give you the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. And I was told that that meant that I had had my calling and election made sure that I had qualified before I came to the earth. I had, and I was like, how in the world is this possible? I was a drug addict. I was a goth. I hated God. I hated the church. I hated life. I tried to commit suicide. I was a drug addict, an alcoholic. How is it possible that I could qualify for this? great blessing and I asked God for many years what does this even mean and he said it's not because of who you are in this life it's because of who you were before you came here and I just and he left it at that and I wouldn't know and that for years and years I wouldn't know and uh, and I got the Melchizedek priesthood which is a thing The guy that I got it from was almost 100 years old. And I went on my mission, and I was sick all through my mission. And after being out 11 months, I got into a bad bicycle accident, and my lung collapsed, and I was dealing with just an incredible amount of sickness. Uh, to the point where I was deaf uh, part of the time, and there was infections. I was just a bunch of stuff going on. And they sent me home on medical leave, but I had nowhere to go. My grandparents lived out in the country, but I needed to be near where I could be treated by the doctors. But I wasn't so sick that they had to, like, put me in the hospital. So my grandparents convinced my mom to let me sleep in the trailer in their front driveway and I was allowed to go in the house just go to the bathroom and take a shower and that was it so uh, so I did that and uh, I never got released by one of my doctors because I was sick for, and this is like a month after I came home and my stepdad was like I don't want him here he, he needs to go back on his mission and I couldn't go back on my mission because I was sick, and I hadn't been released by all of my doctors. I had four different doctors. I had to be released by all of them, and the one guy, he needed to treat me still, and they kicked me out, and the mission president, and uh, or the state president, they said, you're going to have to release you. Like, they didn't give me a place to stay, and so they released me, and I ended up living with my, uh, my sister, my two sisters in their apartment. And then, uh, and then I went and drove a truck over the road because I had a degree in advanced diesel mechanics. And uh, I went and became an over-the-road truck driver. And I did missionary work because they felt guilty, and I studied like a madman. They said, you know what, if I can't be a missionary in the mission field, I'm going to be a missionary. And I was actually set apart as a stake missionary in my stake, and they set me apart in the blessing for all of North America. And I traveled, and I taught, and I did missionary work. And I kept asking God, what does it mean to have the gift of eternal life? 
Okay, I'm, unfortunately, I will have to finish this story, this life experience on the other end of this gap that I'm going through. This revelation was given by Joshua Sparks in 2013. I'm going to let him play that, and then I'll come back. And then go ahead and play that. That's uh, Revelation by Joshua Sparks. Okay. Got it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, hold on. Oh, someone was in the chat room. In Emory County, it's going to break up. I can't talk. That's why I need you to play that revelation. Revelation to the Church of Jesus Christ. Revelation given to set the church in order and to establish the priesthood namely the Quorum of the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and the Quorum of Seventy Apostles, set to the entire world as a witness of the love of God and as a warning of Christ's soon return to this earth along with our Father in Heaven. Behold, this day do I begin to communicate to thee by vision, by revelations, that ye may prophesy against mystery Babylon, whose mystery is being revealed, and the skirts raised to reveal her nakedness and the deceivableness of all unrighteousness, which is in the hearts of all who subscribe to her teachings and to those who are born out of her bed and are not children of the married wife, but of a harlot. First revelation received at 12.30 p.m. on June 15, 2013. I was talking to Brother Mark Lichtenwalter concerning the keys of the priesthood, kingdom of God, and as Mark was speaking about his vision of our Father in Heaven, and the Father in heaven laying his hands upon his head, I received the following revelation. I saw Mark kneeling down, and I saw Heavenly Father holding keys in his hand, and I heard Heavenly Father say these words to Mark, Behold, my son, or my son, behold, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of God and the priesthood, my son, as I gave them to my servant Peter. This I received from my heavenly father, from heavenly father, and I testify that it is true. The vision ended, and I told Mark what I had seen, and I wrote down this divine communication from heavenly father. Second revelation received at 1:10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 15, 2013. Behold, my son, by mine only begotten was this heaven and this earth formed, and by mine only begotten was my firstborn.
and by mine only begotten, even my firstborn Jesus the Christ, was the fullness of the priesthood of the eternities conferred, and the gospel of the eternities past proclaimed through mine only begotten Son. Verse 2. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, saith your Father in heaven. And no man can come unto me except through my Son, and by my Spirit, which causes all men to call upon the name of mine only begotten, yea, even Jesus, who is called the Christ. Behold, this day do I begin to communicate to thee by visions, by revelations, that you may prophesy against mystery Babylon, whose mystery is being revealed, and the skirts raised to reveal her nakedness and the deceivableness of unrighteousness which is in the hearts of all who subscribe to her teachings, and to those who are born out of her bed and are not children of the married wife, but of a harlot. All who... Oh, this verse 4. All who have lifted up their voice against me will I roar from heaven with the voice of my judgment, and I will fill their cups with wrath and indignation from heaven. My son, write and declare these things, for behold, I, the Lord, even Jesus, am the faithful and true witness of my Father in heaven, and, and my words are true. I have drunk of the bitter cup. My, of my father and did magnify my calling and priesthood and did humble myself and am a faithful witness of my father yea the first witness of my father in heaven verse 5 the work and glory of God is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of his sons and daughters and this comes through the atonement and obedience to the laws and ordinances of the eternal gospel my calling and my office of my priesthood is the agency whereby the sons and daughters of God can be heirs and joint heirs with me, saith Jesus the Lord, the first witness of my Father, whose glory is to bring to pass the, the work of my Heavenly Father and to obtain my exaltation through giving my life that many sons and daughters might obtain the inheritance of, of the Father, to be exalted and rule and reign as kings and priests. Verse 6. Heaven and earth will run together when Zion has been built. Follow the leading of my, my spirit. Yea, follow me. Mark and Joshua, my servants upon whom rests the power of this priesthood. Amen. So these were received by a man by the name of Joshua Sparks, who lives uh, somewhere close to Ashland, Kentucky. Father's Day Revelation, given June 16th, 2013, at 10.15 a.m. in Ashland, Kentucky. My son, you have inquired of me direction. Behold, I do answer thee, and show thee the things thou desirest and seekest. Call to me, and I will answer thee, 
and by revelation I will reveal to thee my will. Seek ye out twelve men to whom I shall lead thee, and ordain them to be to the priesthood. Yea, set them apart as apostles of Jesus Christ, special witnesses of my Son, whom I shall send to thee, men of truth, integrity, yea, men of faith, who are righteous, who have received a testimony that Jesus lives. For as Mark and you, Joshua, you have seen Jesus with your own eyes. Yea, they too have seen. Yea, and have heard and bear their testimony to the world that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 2. For, yea, a marvelous work and a quick work shall I do among the children of men, as I call to those with ears to hear to remove themselves from Babylon and her great and abominable church, and to take their place among the church, yes, and be taught the gospel of the eternities, and to progress to their exaltation through obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel that belongeth to this priesthood. Verse 3, Seventy men shalt thou ordain, and set them apart as seventy apostles, a special witness that shall be sent into the world to preach the gospel and prepare the hearts of children to build Zion, saith your Father in heaven. Yea, even my political kingdom on earth, and after my twelve and seventy are set in their place, behold, I will establish my first presidency. Yea, and the one mighty and strong, mine anointed, shall begin to, to build again Zion, as, as did Enoch my son. And he shall reign over this, my kingdom, till he turns it back over to me, saith the Father. Seek ye first my kingdom and my righteousness, and establish my church, and I will lead you by my spirit to separate unto me the council of fifty, and I will again establish to restore the united order. Yea, Zion shall be built. Preach my gospel. Yea, establish my church. For, uh, from her ye my kingdom. Even, yea, even Zion shall be built, and I will come to Adam and on Diamond, and there bless my sons and daughters, and they shall receive a crown of life that fadeth not away. Verse 5. For thus saith the Lord, even Jesus, I am the head of my church, yea, that I have built by revelation, and yea, I will cause the building fitly framed together to grow into a holy temple and dwelling place for our Father in heaven. Amen. Revelation given Monday, June 17, 2013, at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Behold, my son, in response to your inquiry, I the Lord do I the Lord do reveal to you that my seventies will be missionaries, yea, traveling ministers, set apart as 
set apart as the words missing. I don't know what it what it said. It's been a long time since I've read this, but traveling ministers set apart as apostles. Seventy apostles. I I know that's what it should say. Anyway. Yea, even apostles who shall be sent as a special witnesses, yea, even witnesses of my Son Jesus the Christ, whose eyes have beheld, whose ears are open to the voice of the shepherd, yea, whose bosom doth burn within them, as did my disciples on the road to Emmaus. Verse 2. Lift up thine eyes, and behold the, the field are white and ready to harvest, and the sheaves of earth shalt thou reap. Yea, even those who obey the gospel and who come through mine only begotten, the author of eternal salvation, yea, the bright morning star. Verse 3. Trust in thy sickle, yea, begin to build up my church, yea, and my kingdom, my church and my kingdom in the east. So that's Joshua's <clears throat> job. And my servant Mark, yea, mine anointed, build up my kingdom and my church. Yea, lay the foundation of Zion, for this is thy priesthood. And thy keys, yea, build, yea, to build up Zion, the holy city of God. To establish her, to enlarge her stakes, to influence and her influence in all the earth. As a stone cut out without hands, shalt thou fill the earth with my glory, saith your Father in heaven. Verse 4. Set in order the twelve and the seventy, and I will set in order the first presidency. Yea, and thou dost have the keys of my kingdom, and power to bind and loose, saith the Lord. Um, I received those keys when the Father laid his hands upon my head in 2003. So I've had him ever since then, almost 20 years. Verse 5. Go forward, my servants, preach repentance and baptize those who are repentant in my name, yea, the name of mine only begotten Son. Confer upon them the gift of the Holy Ghost and confirm them members of my church. Verse 6, many hearts are ready to receive. Go in power, yea, the priesthood power, for I, your Father, in heaven do command it. So that was the revelations received by Joshua Sparks in 2013, one month after these revelations were received, I was commanded to sever the ordinances and um, power or priesthood of all the holy people. And that happened in July of 2013. And um, Joshua actually buckled under the pressure that he received from the adversary um, as he was doing his work. He was, uh, he was just attacked a lot and he fell from doing what he was supposed to do. Um, 
I like the fact that Jesus says he's going to set in order the first presidency. Because uh, I don't want to be in that position. <laughs> I don't believe I will be. But, um... I don't know what to say. I know that Zion will be built in the wilderness and that my job is to teach and prepare the people. And the time will come when the church will be set in order. Oh, and by the way, um, God also told me to call it the Church of the Living Messiah. So... That is what the church is called today. It's not called the Church of Christ. It's not called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's called the the Church of the Living Messiah. So that is that has been established. And there are officers in that church, although they are few in number. So... Anyway, that's the revelation I wanted to share with anyone, and that was received by Joshua Sparks of Ashland, Kentucky. And the last time I talked to him was at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, He wrote me and asked me what I thought about the pandemic, or what, he said, what does God say about the pandemic? And I told him that it would be bad but the cure would be worse. And that was in, I think, March or February of 2020. And I haven't heard from him since. So I don't know what's going on with Joshua Sparks. I don't know if he got around to doing the work that God asked him to do. I didn't ask him to do it. This revelation was received by Joshua from the Father. So anyway, that's the revelation. And uh, I'm going to do more recordings and see if I can get more of these revelations out. Thanks. Bye. Okay, Emmett, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, the reason why I put that recording on or asked you to do it is because as soon as I get in Emory County, it breaks up for like, I don't know, seven or eight miles. Yeah, and it's just not good to have me talking during that, when I'm going through that area. So in case the listeners don't know, I actually am a semi-truck driver. I prepare the program before I go to work, and Emmett, my son, and a lot of times my wife will help run the studio, and I've got a Bluetooth headset on. I call into the studio. They patch me through. You know, I'm going to watch the studio for callers and anybody in the chat room. And, by the way, there was a person in the chat room. And what did he say, Emmett? Emmett, I can't hear you. Hi. What did he say? Oh, um, he said the Mormons in Idaho need to go back to Utah. And they need to leave Arizona, too. (laughs) You know, it's these type of uh, yipping Gentile dogs that think that they have to uh, bite at the heels of God's people. But 
this ignorant guy doesn't realize that the Mormon people settled a lot of Arizona and Idaho and Nevada and, you know, different places. But I do agree with him that they should come back to Utah because in 2016, God actually commanded us to leave Spanish Fork, Utah, and to go to Emory County, Utah, and that this would be a place of gathering and safety until the time came when this nation was so at war with itself that we would have to go to another place, and God told me where that was. So this place where I'm at now, Emory County, is a gathering place. It is the gathering place for the elect, and this is where we are supposed to be. So I agree with him, but the reason he's saying it and the reason I'm saying it are worlds apart. So um, I've had a lot of people attacking me lately and mocking me. And, you know, I think it's interesting. A lot of these people proclaim to be Mormons and they proclaim to be Christians and they say, oh, you're delusional. Oh, you're, you're crazy. Oh, this, that. And they're just rude as all hell. And they're supposed to be Christians. If I am delusional, like you might think I am, if I am off my rocker and crazy, and if I am mentally ill, do you really think that God is going to take kindly to you treating somebody who is mentally ill the way you treat me? I will sit in the judgment seat, and I will take pleasure in judging you. And I know you think out there, a lot of you think, oh, you're just crazy. Oh, you think this, that, and the other. But, you know, Jesus did warn you that I would come. And he said, when I come, you shall hear him in all things. So, and, and those who reject me will be, you know, it's the unpardonable sin. <laughs> but, you know, mock and mock. Somebody uh, was mocking me earlier today, and I just told them, look, you are going to reject me, and you're going to persecute me, and you're going to slander me, and slander my reputation. And, And the day may come, if you're still alive, that you're going to watch as people who feel like they're doing God a service put me to death and my witness to death. And you'll rejoice because the crazy guy is gone and you don't have to worry about me anymore. And in three days and three nights, as my body lays in the street, marred beyond human recognition, you're going to watch the glory of God come upon my dead body and you're going to watch my body be resurrected live for the whole world to see with the witness, the other witness. And as you see me and those who follow me ascend into the heavens to meet Jesus before he returns to the earth, great fear is going to fall upon you because at that point you're going to realize that I am Exactly who I told you I was and you're going to remember when I told you that you reject me and it's unforgivable 
you're going to know at that point that there is no repentance. And you're going to watch the earth shake and tremble as the, as the day of the Lord comes down and destroys the wicked upon the face of the earth. And I feel sorry for you in a point, but I've been attacked so much in the last 10 years, and even before that, but more so since God showed me who I am, that I am burned out of dealing with you people, that I understand what Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and the prophets went through because I'm living what they went through in part. And I will be vindicated and you will be damned. And that makes me sad for you, but you know what? I don't do this for you. I'm doing this because God chose me to be his witness and he told me to teach the people and testify of the truth and to be the witness that he called me and foreordained me to be. Now before I I had to get off, you know, and do the recording part. For many years I asked God what it meant that I have have been given the gift of eternal life. And he told me it's not because of who you are, it's because of who you were. And he would just leave it behind. He wouldn't say anything. And I just kept bugging him over years, years and years. And finally, as I was praying, he took me up and I was taken to the base of a mountain, to, the, to a creek in a meadow. And he told me to wash off in the creek and then follow the trail. And I climbed that mountain. That mountain is called Mount Vashel. And at the top of the mountain, I went into a temple of the living God. And in that temple, I saw the Father in the flesh, and I fell down before him. And he told me to get up, and I embraced him in the flesh. And that was in the spring of 2003. And he placed his hands on my head, and he gave me the keys of the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom. Now, I think it's interesting that people think that Daniel chapter 7, when it talks about the stone being cut out of the mountain made without hands, and somehow that's the church. The mountain made without hands is the church. The stone is the stone of Yosef, which is talked about in Genesis chapter 49. When it talks about the stone in the shepherd of Joseph, that is Messiah ben Joseph, the stone of Joseph. Jesus Christ is the stone and shepherd of Judah. I am the stone and shepherd of Joseph. The mountain that Daniel saw made without hands was, is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when it talks about the stone being cut out of the mountain, it means that that stone would be excommunicated and that he would do his work at that point. Prophecy has been fulfilled. Anyway, um, I really can't talk too much more because I'm coming into the power plant. But as I was being excommunicated, I was weeping bitter tears, asking God why this was happening to me. And he said, kneel down before me and ask me who you are. And he showed me exactly who I am. And when I saw 
the Father and the Son go among the mighty and strong ones who are the apostles in the heavens under the direction of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They chose me to, to fill the vacancy of God the witness, and that's why I am who I claim to be. Anyway, hold on here. Okay, my wife is on now. Hi, Kim. Hello, Kim. Hi. Hi. Hello, Mom. I have my phone muted. And I just called and talked with Ludi at the house before I called in to make sure everything was going good. So that's why I didn't call right in. Okay, that's fine. Um, I'm actually trying to pull up to the Grizz at Lyle, or at the in Castledale at the power plant. I can so. hear that. Yep. Um, so I can't really finish what I was trying to say. I was talking about, like, how when God chose me and showed me my office and why I've seen him face-to-face and all of that, and it took me a minute, and I finally looked at him, and I, I said, am I the witness? Now, the position of of the gods, there's three for this earth under the direction of Yehovah our Elohim and their God the Creator who is Michael, God the Redeemer who is Jesus, and God the Witness who is the Testator or called the Holy Ghost. So when I looked at the Father and I said, Am I the Witness? Like I was asking him if I was God the Witness. And he was like, he just smiled at me and he said, Well, it has to be somebody. You know, so. Um, but I need to get out and pull my gates and put my hard hat on. So, um, is there anything that you wanted to say before I, uh, I jumped out and did that? Um, did you have something else that you were going to play? No, I think, I think we're done for tonight. Oh, sorry. I just missed the end of it. So. It's fine. Um, if you want to, you could, like, talk about how we met and how all of that, you know. I mean, I know you've talked about it. But... Um, so, actually, I'm not going to talk oh, about I, that. I, 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 I did have one thing that I was just going to say, um, and I don't know why I'm going to say it, but okay, whatever. Um, uh, so my headset is connected. Oh. Anyway, okay. go ahead. I'll just mute myself. Okay. Um, a lot of times, uh, people make claims like this. We've met a lot of people who make claims. Um, and I always have, no matter who it was or, you know, how crazy I thought it was uh, about the claim, um, I didn't just dismiss it and say no, because, um, I feel like the same thing. It has to be somebody. And a lot of things that, um, say, like talk about, the final prophet and a lot of the prophecies and a lot of the past prophets, um, they weren't somebody who we thought that they were going to be. They weren't who everybody thought that they were going to be. It was, um, somebody is not muted. Um, it was, you know, people that God chose and somebody that was not typical of what we thought it would be. 
Um, Emmett, are you not muted? Not Dan. Oh. It has some weird feedback. Sorry, um, I'm completely muted. Okay. Um, anyways, so uh, what I was saying was that instead of just dismissing the claim because, yeah, he's a nobody, right? Um, I am married to him, so that's like really, it was really surprising to me also. And, um, you know, everybody is probably looking for someone different. You have all these ideals that you feel like this person should be. Uh, but really what you should do, regardless of whoever is coming to you with claims such as this, you should always go to God and pray about it. And you should find out um, if these things are true. Um, and you shouldn't just take it for granted or trust in the arm of flesh. Um, I know that I have a testimony of um, who he is. I have a testimony of uh, what it is that I feel like my job is as a healthy. And um, I feel like it, it's not – a lot of people try to put um, that position, not him, but like the position up on a pedestal, like, wow, we've been waiting for this person for a long time, and you're so amazing. Um, I don't feel like that's what it is. I feel like – we should all be amazing and we should be working together. So all of the people um, who listen to this, who can hear this and who have been listening in, um, I know that you have impressions on your heart. I know that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and um, it's been telling you what you should do. And I know it's super hard and a lot of times you're pushing it away and pushing it out. But I would just reach out and say that, um, you know, pray about it. Pray and ask God, what is it that you should do? What should you do with this information? And then go in it with the prayer that you are going to um, do whatever it is that God asks you to do and what it is that you should be doing. And that way we can all um, be able to be in a Zion-like community and we can help uh, reading Zion all together so that we can um, be one and then bring about the kingdom of earth on heaven or in on earth as it is in heaven sorry the kingdom of heaven on earth so now i don't know emmett can you still hear me i can hear you okay because i'm going to be breaking up now because i'm going into um the county the next county um yeah the same place that i was like okay i gotta do this recording because i am gonna break up in my service uh one thing before um I agree with everything that Kim says, except for that not only should you pray about it, you should study these things out seriously and take it seriously. And then if I'm not who I proclaim to be, don't follow me. If you don't get a a witness, then study it out until you do get a witness. If the spirit withdraws from you, then my witness is not true and you need to don't follow me. But if I am true and you know I am true, you should listen to me. And you should hear what I have to say. And you should gather to where I am. So, anyway. I wish I had been there for the whole thing. Sorry that I wasn't. And now I'm breaking up in and out, so I don't know exactly what you're saying the whole time. So, I hope that everybody (laughs) is having a good night, and I hope that it was a good program. I'll have to listen to it on the repeat. Yep. Yep. And I don't know if I'm going to be doing anything tomorrow. I might, if I have time, record uh, some more revelations that I have. 
and uh, maybe I'll play him tomorrow, but I really don't know. I'm I'm exhausted right now. Um, I've got things I've got to do, and um, I don't know. Anyway, in last week's program, I was doing a flashback Friday, and it, like, it got all screwed up, and it just was crap, and um, nobody listens to me anyway. I mean, I got that guy in the chat room that was telling me all the Mormons should go back to Utah. Well, he should be thankful that the Mormons came out to Utah because we we branched out from Utah and settled Arizona and large portions of Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, Idaho, you know, even parts of California and Oregon and Nevada. So whatever. We'll go back to Utah. They should, though. They should go back to Utah. Like, we came out here from New Hampshire in 2013 just for a visit, and then we stayed because of uh, circumstances that were beyond our control. And we've been here ever since. And then God told us to move to where we are now in the heart of Utah, Emory County, capital country. And uh, this is where we are. That's where we've been at for five years now, I think, or something, something like that, six years. Anyway, I think it'll be six years in, uh, well, actually, I don't know. Everything is a mess. I, in 2016, we were permitted to move here, so I think that's when we moved here to this county. Anyway, um, I guess we'll just uh, be done with the program for today. If we don't have any callers or anybody in the chat room besides the uh, Gentile dogs that like to nip at the feet of yours truly. And uh, anyway, oh, you know what? I called somebody an asshole earlier, and somebody's like, oh, how dare you call somebody an asshole? Uh, Jesus said worse to his detractors. Now, he called them, uh, he called them dogs. Uh, he called the Gentile woman a dog. Let's see. He said that they were wadded sepulchers and snakes and vipers and the son of Satan and and all sorts of things. So if you get, you only get me calling you an asshole uh, because you are an asshole, then. And uh, for those of you who are righteous and pious and don't think that that a prophet of God can swear, well, you wouldn't want to have known Joseph Smith when he was in his lifetime either. So I'm not like your false prophet. Anyway, I guess we'll just be done with it. Emmett, go ahead and get ready to cue the music. Leap away. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Cue the music.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.